What comes to mind when you hear the word deacon? For those who are just a little bit older than me, you may think of that big football player, Deacon Jones the, from the 60s and 70s. You, you might also think, if you're a college sports fan, of the Wake Forest Demon Deacons. That's their mascot. Well, if you grew up in a Baptist church like me, the term deacon may even scare you. When I was a kid, the deacons were generally older men, and they had some authority in the church, and they were the ones that told us to be quiet and sit down. Deacons in the churches that you may have been a part of uh, may have, have had the ability to uh, fire a pastor or at the very least make the pastor's life miserable. And for years, Baptist churches have often had a structure, a leadership structure, where uh, a strong senior pastor and a deacon board who had the authority to veto or approve the pastor's agenda. Now, thankfully, churches like ours, there are many who are like us, that have examined what the Bible has said about deacons and said, let's conform what we do and what we believe and how we operate to what the Bible says. And they're seeing that the leadership structure of having a one pastor and a board of deacons who ultimately function as elders simply isn't found in Scripture. Now, I mentioned this last week that our feelings about what the Bible says don't really matter that much. And the truth be told that my opinions about what Scripture says don't really matter that much. What matters is what the Word says. Now, some issues aren't easy to figure out, that there's gray area, that there is a lot of area for disagreement. But when it comes to what elders and deacons are, and what they do, the Bible's very clear. This is, is not something that is, is gray. This is black and white. And so as with anything else in our faith, we begin with the Bible. What does the Bible say about deacons? What is a deacon? And what are the qualifications of a deacon? Now, again, as I mentioned before, it's much easier to dig our heels in based on how we feel about something. And that's true of every area of our lives, and it's true of young and old alike. We have opinions about everything, don't we? And often our opinions are based on what we think or what we feel rather than fact, and here in Scripture it's rather than what the Scripture says. See, as people of God, people of the book, people who devote our lives to God's Word and what it says... We must be guided by this. And there's a danger in being guided by our feelings just as much as there's a danger in being guided by the culture. We must be guided in everything we do by what the Bible says. Now I share that with you because as I grew up in the church... I grew up thinking that the Bible was a, a collection of stories, the moral tales, do this and God will reward you. But I found that it's so much more than that. God has given us not only a standard for how we are supposed to live, what he expects of us as individuals, he's also given us a standard for how we are to worship him. And when I say that, I don't mean just in the gathered worship, although this is the, the pinnacle of our existence as Christians, that this time where we gather together and worship, 
I'm speaking about our worship through the rest of the week as a church. How we are led, how we serve, how we follow. This is the standard that we see in Scripture. And again, I've, I've mentioned this over and over. We, we have a bad habit. I have a bad habit of overly individualizing my faith. Of, of acting in my own life that it's just me and Jesus. But who, who did Jesus come for? Who, who is Jesus returning for? It's his bride. It's the church. It's a gathering of people. It's us. So when God talks to us about this, his church, we listen. When we're talking about the church that Jesus came to save, we cannot afford to do anything but fully obey it. And God has given us a standard of what he expects. And we obey it even when it contradicts the way that we feel. My feelings, your feelings, my opinions, they don't matter if they contradict what Scripture says. This is our standard. And so we begin and we end there. This is the, the standard of our entire existence. Our entire faith is based on what God has said to us through his word. So what does the Bible say? Well, as you move through the New Testament passages about the church, you'll see two offices mentioned. You'll see elder and deacon. In our last message in 1 Timothy, we looked at the qualifications of an elder and what an elder does. And if you're unfamiliar with what an elder does, don't worry. It's just another word for pastor. It's a shepherd, someone who's called to lead and teach. The Bible has very clear statements about who an elder is and what God expects of an elder and how the church is supposed to follow faithful leadership. Thankfully, our church... A few years ago, as many other churches today have examined what the Word says, and more are coming to the conclusion that alignment with Scripture is what we need. And, and, and you know as well as I do, it would be easy for a church to say, well, we like it the way that it is. We want to keep deacons as functional leaders. I've, I've been members of churches like that. And many churches have this. They, they have a strong solo pastor and a deacon board. There are stories even of pastors who have challenged their churches to say, let's look at what the Bible says, let's examine the text, let's see the, the overarching storyline of Scripture, and let's examine what God would have for our church, and comes to the conclusion that the church needs elders. And do you know that churches have split over that? Pastors have been fired over that? Influential pastors have been fired over that. But we as a people must be committed to what God's word says. Without scripture, we have nothing. This is how God has chosen to communicate what he expects and his gift towards us. This is his way of communicating. It's not done by visions or even prophecy. Those are included here. But it's through his written word. So, we need to examine what Scripture says before we begin our opinions of, of how the church should function and who is supposed to lead the church. And I say all that because there are many churches today that will have 
uh, a deacons and a pastor, and the deacons ultimately function as elders, decision-making, leading deacons. But reading through Scripture, we very clearly see that there is a differentiation between an elder and a deacon. Two standards, some overlap, but two different standards. So let's look what a deacon is. If you pulled out your Greek New Testament that all of us read, and we looked at the word deacon, what it is in Greek, it's pretty simple. It's diakonos. The translators or the transliterators into English didn't have to do a whole lot of work here. Diakonos is the Greek word. It really means one who executes the commands of another. It always refers to some form of ministry or service. And if you remember in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 6, we see this best example played out. Listen to what happens in the early church here. Acts 6, chapter, or verse 1. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So what was happening here? To answer this, we summarize it in three simple areas. First, deacons meet needs according to the word. The church was growing. There were widows who were part of the body so there was young and there were old and the, the widows were not being taken care of. The widows, there were too many of them or there were too many needs. And the leaders of the church, the elders of the church, they were having to, to set aside the, the study of the word and the, the prayer and the, the reading and the meditating to go meet daily needs. You can, In a modern sense, you can picture what's happening here. Uh, many of us know of, of church plants that have exploded in attendance where uh, a church will go from 25 to 250 within a matter of a year. And, and, and every one of us wants churches to grow. We want Bible preaching churches to attract people and to connect with people so that they can disciple people. And what happens in some of these churches is if they don't have structures in place to care for the people, they can't sustain it. A church I served in one time um, saw an increase of about 50% within a matter of six months. And, and, and what happened in the church, there was two things that, that caused problems. One, the church's DNA changed, that it was not the same church as before. But second, and maybe even more importantly than that, that we could not sustain that type of growth because we weren't ready for it. We did not have systems or structures in place to be able to care for the needs of all the people. We were just like chapter 6 in Acts, where needs were being ignored, not on purpose, but just the manpower hours we didn't have. 
And so churches go through this. And so I want you to think back to the church in Acts, this early church, the power of the Holy Spirit moving through the preaching of the word. The Spirit moving through the evangelism that was happening every single day. Christians were gathering together and then going out into the world to share the gospel. And people on the outside saw that. The people on the outside, the the non-believers, the the non-Christians, saw the sacrificial love that these Christians had for one another. They even saw that people of different backgrounds, people who were trained and taught and indoctrinated to hate the other person, were now standing hand in hand for a common goal. They saw the Christians going to the temple daily to pray and evangelize. It was attractive. The church was growing. But needs weren't being met. Now think about it. If this were our story, what would we do? Come up with a plan. Make sure that, that people are taken care of somehow, some way. It doesn't matter. Just go meet those needs. But the Bible is clear. God is clear that the local church must meet these needs. Just as much as we must meet needs of people in our church. If we've got a church member that's struggling financially, it is on, our, on, on us to go and help them meet those needs. And by God's grace, we've been able to do that. Caring for those who are in need. And the Bible specifically talks about widows and orphans here. It's clear that we must take care of people the best we can. But the fact is, there must be something, a structure in place that helps to get those people what they need. This is where deacons come in. And this leads us to the second main area that deacons do. Deacons support the ministry of the word. The church had a problem of distribution. Widows were being neglected, so what happens next? It's the, the same thing that happens to us today. Acts 6 says the elders had to step away from their primary responsibilities. So what are those primary responsibilities? Teaching of the word. So not just public teaching, but preparation to teach. The, the prayers for the church and prayers for the people. Being part of the lives of those in the church. These are the primary things that an elder is to do. And so what the elders had to do is they had to step aside from those vitally important duties of preaching and preparing and praying to go distribute things that the widows needed. It's a noble task, right? We, we say that's a great, wonderful thing for the leaders of the church to, to get on the ground and help people. But is that their primary calling? Is that what God has intended elders to do primarily? As a side note, I've often heard people say that they want to go back to the way that the early church did things. And I, man, I admire that. I agree. The early church is important that it's the closest that we can get to the establishment of the church. So they, uh, there were people in the early church that knew the apostles and Very brand new, exciting times, but in reality, they were full of sinful people just like churches today are. And as we know from our own lives, anytime you get a group of sinners together, you have problems that come from that. 
right? We have selfishness and, and disunity and division and, and bitterness and anger and all of those things that we have in our own hearts, you and I, all of us, we bring them into the church and it just multiplies that problem. And so the early church was the same, and they were misunderstanding Scripture. They were arguing over which teacher is the best. Alliances formed, arguments arose over what practices they should adopt. And the biggest difference between us and the, 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 the book of Acts is that we just, there's more of us. That's really the biggest difference. And it's comforting to me to know that even those who were the closest to the apostles still mess stuff up. That their churches were just as dysfunctional as ours today can be. Because we're all sinners in need of a Savior, and they are no different than us. And they had needs in their church that just simply weren't being met. Today, some churches grow so fast that they lose sight of what God has called them to do. The daily discipleship and the daily relationships that are supposed to be built up. Listen, a church will suffer if what happens in Acts chapter 6 happens today. And you say, well, why? why? Why would a church suffer? Listen, if the elders of a church, our church, any other church, if the elders have to step aside to, and I'm just quoting scripture, to wait tables, if that is what we're primarily doing, the church will suffer. The primary duty of an elder is the spiritual oversight and the spiritual care of the church. And in God's perfect wisdom, God says, yes, that is your primary duty. So I will establish deacons, servants, helpers, waiters to be able to do those things so you elders can focus on the spiritual aspects and the deacons can take care of the physical needs. It's a wonderful plan. This is where deacons come in. Deacons serve so that the elders can lead. But deacons don't just serve. Deacons lead in service. Now you say, well, we, wait, I haven't seen deacons up here preaching. I haven't seen deacons standing up here. No, you're right. You see the elders doing most of the public leading here. But not all of what you what happens in this church is done publicly. In fact, a lot of what is done in our church family is not done publicly. Deacons are often behind the scenes making sure that things happen, making sure that projects get finished, making sure that needs get met. Deacons often operate without any fanfare. They serve faithfully so that we can worship well and so the elders can focus on their calling. This is the third main area. Deacons unify the body around the word. What is our biggest need as Christians? To know God. And how do we know God? We know God through the word. And the primary responsibility of an elder is to proclaim the word to the church. And you may be wondering, wait, I'm a greeter. I'm a parking lot attendant. I cook hot dogs at the church functions. I paint. I vacuum. I do all of those things. How is that spiritual? How is, how is that any impact on the church? And so it's natural to think, man, I just serve for 30 minutes every week. 
Big deal. I don't have any spiritual impact on people. Listen, everything that deacons do is done in support of the spiritual growth of the church. Everything. In Acts 6, widows were being neglected so the elders and pastors had to stop what they were doing and what they were called to do so that they could go do other things. You say, well, that's not a bad thing. Listen, they were serving outside of their calling. Is it wrong for a pastor to wait tables? Absolutely not. Is it wrong for a pastor to help set up for an event? Absolutely not. But listen, if you see me doing that 30 hours a week, there is a problem there. I would be serving outside of what God has called me to do. This is why deacons are so vitally important, because they free up the pastors and elders so that we can focus on prayer and teaching and leading. Just as much as a church without elders will suffer, a church without deacons will suffer too. And I want you to know this too. Please hear me. My responsibility as a pastor, ultimately spiritually, I'm, I'm not a king, I'm not a president, I'm called the president of our corporation, which I don't enjoy. But I'm not a king, I'm not, I'm not a ruler. I, I just sit in a position where God has called me to be. Equally as much as a deacon sits in their position that God calls them to be. See, scripture talks about how we, we all are part of one body. And if one of those parts are removed, you can still survive, but you will not thrive. And deacons play such an important part. The reality is that elders may be the flesh and skin and the stuff that you see on the outside, but the deacons are those organs that are pumping blood to the church. Deacons serve so that elders can lead. And they do this by meeting needs, supporting the ministry of the word, and by unifying the body. So that's what deacons do, but what are their qualifications? Let's go back to 1 Timothy 3. You see a list of character, uh, characteristics of a person who serves as a deacon. They must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to wine, not greedy for dishonest gain, a true believer, tested in the faith, proven blameless, the husband of one wife, and a good manager of their own household. If you're like me, we've got deacons in this room, you look at this list and say, <laughs> I'm done. I don't measure up. I don't meet these standards. There's like four or five things that I'm really bad at. And as I prepared for my last week's sermon, I did the exact same thing. If you put a check mark over things that I struggle with, there is a check mark beside every single one of those in that list. So are we all disqualified? See, some of the deacons right now are probably nodding their heads thinking, yes, we're, we're disqualified. We, we can't do this. We can't meet up. That, that we've taken all taken part in gossip. We've all failed to lead our families well. We've all lost our temper. We've all had uh, uh, situations in our community where we weren't thought of in the best light. But are, are they disqualified for that? If you read scripture, black and white reading, it's pretty clear that we are all disqualified. But I would answer a firm no, we are not disqualified. And the reason why we can continue to serve uh, is that this list deals more, just as with elders, deals more with personalities or def definitive characteristics than it does with momentary instances. 
So the question I'd ask of any elder, any pastor, any deacon, are you defined by what we see in Scripture? Those, those things, are you defined? So, so can you lose your temper and still remain as an elder? Absolutely. But can you lose your temper every single day and remain an elder? No. They're definitive characteristics. There's a difference between getting angry with someone on the road and getting into fistfights every single day. Those are two very different things. I hope you understand that. The person who starts fights every day is known as someone with a short temper and a problem with anger. It defines who he is in the community. He would not be suitable for either office. So the question is this, after we determine as a church and as an eldership, does someone meet the qualifications of a mature believer, are they known by anything that's prohibited in this text? There are other things too that a church should look at in a person if they want to be a deacon, but this is the starting point. The idea is that deacons are set apart for the work of ministry. Deacons are in many ways representative of the work of the church. So we see the qualifications and we see what deacons do. Now for the part that people divide over, verse 11. It talks about deacons' wives. One interpretation is that Paul was referring to the wives of the deacons. He, he had just finished speaking about deacons, and then he moves on to what their wives must be. There are churches who take this view. They'll interview a deacon, and then they'll interview the deacon's wife. And, and just like with an elder and, and their wife, we, we want to make sure that they are in alignment because an elder serving as an elder with a non-supportive wife won't last very long, and the church will suffer. But when we look at the original text, when we look at Paul's letter to Timothy, we see something there, or better yet, we see something that's not there. The word there, T-H-E-I-R, is not found in the Greek text. What it actually says, one of the, the acceptable definitions or, or, or uh, translations is this, women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. That the Greek scholars that translate this, many of them don't think that it says wives at all. Many think that it says women. And they argue that, that Paul doesn't address the wives of elders, so why would he address wives of deacons when elders are held to a higher standard? So why not address the wives of elders? And because of the hours and stress that elders endure, you think that an elder's wife would be held to a higher standard, but he doesn't address that. Something else to consider is that women were very important to the health of the early church. Phoebe in Romans 16 is a great example. And what this leads some people to believe is that women can serve as deacons, that they don't see a prohibition against women serving in that role. Regardless of where you may stand, regardless of where you land on this, my only statement to you is this examine the scripture, read what it says. Support your, your understanding with facts. Look to the original languages. Study it. Look to the, to the context of when the books were written. Can church members disagree? Certainly. But our starting point and our ending point must be Scripture, not our opinions or traditions. Here is where I think a lot of the difficulty does come in churches. Especially those, really in those churches that have new to elders or do not have elders. 
deacons function as elders in those churches. Now, here's where my opinion comes into this. You may never have heard this word, but I am a firm complementarian, meaning that God has given distinct roles for men and women inside the church. I, I think that those are very, very clear. I think culture fights against that. I think culture doesn't like that. It makes us sound like we're archaic and we're cavemen, but the reality is God has set his standard. We've addressed that already before. But I also say this, that there is room in the Christian faith for disagreement on an issue like this. That, that, that there are many churches right now, even in the Southern Baptist Convention, that have women serving as deacons. Are they brothers and sisters in Christ? Absolutely. Do we stand with them in the pursuit of God? Absolutely. Do we push forward in the proclamation of the gospel? 100%. And so when we understand that there is a difference between elder and deacon, and that deacon is not so much a leadership role, but a servant role, it does soften it a little bit, doesn't it? Whether you agree with it or not, it does not make it as offensive. And churches can disagree on this. We'll find disagreement all throughout churches everywhere. These churches are serving God in the best way possible. And we're all going in the same direction. This is the part of the passage of the text that's a little gray. The part of elders and deacons, pretty black and white. Well, my hope in all of this, in this study of deacons, is that you see how absolutely important, essential deacons are for the church. If we're attempting to grow spiritually, to mature in the faith, deacons play a pivotal role in this. They, they meet needs, they support the ministry of the word, and they help the church to be unified. And the truth is, we could have two or three times the amount of elders that we currently have, and yet still needs would be missed. And so deacons play an essential role to alleviate some of that tension from the elders, to, to allow the elders to do what God has called them to do. But more importantly than simply needing deacons, it's what God has given to the church. Why? For his own glory. When people are served well, God is glorified. When pastors and elders are free to pray, to study, and to teach, God is glorified. When his members are able to use their gifts to bless others, God is glorified. Listen, having deacons in a church brings God glory. But this doesn't work unless people desire to be set apart and commissioned as servants. The church cannot function properly unless people are using their gifts to serve others. This is what I mentioned earlier. Think of the church as a, a living human body. This local church is a, a, a imagine it as a physical body. Now, I can come up and, and, and we can remove our eyes and we can still live. We can remove limbs and we can still live. We can even take out some organs out of our bodies and still live. But listen, life is harder when you do that. There, there is not a person who has any kind of disability that, that, that says, yeah, life got easier when I lost this. No, 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 no. Life is easier when everything is working properly. Life is harder when it's not. 
And so the, the picture that we see in Scripture is that we are all parts of one unified working body. When you remove pieces or parts, everything else suffers, either has to work harder or you can't function as well. And so God has said, I've given you elders to teach and to lead and to shepherd and to love, and I've given deacons to lift up those elders to support those elders, to support the work of the local church. Now, this passage may not lead you to become a deacon. It's clear that not everyone will be. It's clear that not everyone is called to be. But where we are all called to do, or what we are all called to do, is to serve. To serve one another in this church and to be gospel light and salt in the world. And I don't say that you have to serve because I've asked you to, or because the elders have asked you to, or because there's pressure to do that. We all serve so that we can give a taste of God's glory to others. Well, remember the, the list of qualifications for deacons found in 1 Timothy 3. Deacons must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to alcohol, not greedy, a true believer, tested, blameless, a faithful husband, a good leader in the home. And as we read this, even if you're a deacon or not, or even if you're an elder or not, I'm just talking as a Christian to a Christian. As we read this, your mind probably goes to one of two directions, maybe even both. First, you may have been thinking, well, those are simply marks of a true Christian. Did you notice that if you, think about the, the most godly person that you know, and if you were able to check mark those, that, that name and put this list of deacons, that person hopefully would meet every single one of those standards. Yes, this person is dignified. Yes, this person loves their spouse. Yes, this person is a good leader in the home and they're tested and blameless. The marks of a deacon, simply put, are marks of a mature believer. There's no special sauce in becoming a deacon. There's, there's, there's no secret formula. It is be a mature believer. The second thing that may have come to mind is the criteria cannot be followed perfectly. You'd be right here too. The only person who follows this, who meets these all the time, is Jesus. I can't do it. You can't do it. None of us can. And so the question that I keep coming back to over and over is if none of us can meet that standard, if none of us can do the things that, that are commanded in Scripture, why give those standards? If the standard to become a member of this church is that you have to touch the ceiling by jumping without aid of any, you know, anything helping you, none of us could do it. So it would be a pointless rule, wouldn't it? And so why is this listed? Do you remember what Paul says in 1 Corinthians? Follow me as I follow Christ. Or even this way, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Paul didn't stop and say, follow me. Paul says, you know what? Follow me so long as I'm pointing you to Christ. Follow me so as long as I'm being faithful. Follow me so long as I'm pointing you and leading you to maturity in your faith. Don't just follow me to follow me. Follow me as I follow Christ. 
See, serving in the local church does not protect you from the effects of sin. You will continue to sin. You will continue to stumble. And sometimes you will fall. And I'd even say this. The minute that you have a title, whether it's elder or deacon, the minute that you have that, your target on your back gets bigger. Why? What happens to a church when a pastor falls? Do people lose their faith? Maybe not, but it hurts. What happens when a a deacon is involved in illegal activities? Nobody here, don't read into that. No one here is. The church's reputation is sullied. It's tarnished. The arrow gets bigger. The, The target gets bigger and bigger, and Satan is aiming directly at us. Our sin and impact that we have is greater because of our impact on others. So does this mean then that because of this, no one wants that target on their backs? No one one wants to carry the weight that leaders in the church have to carry? So does this mean that, 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 you know what, we could just back up and say, you know what, I'm not going to become an elder or I'm not going to become a deacon because I just just don't want to carry this. I can't, I can't meet the standard of what God says, so I'm going to not do it at all. This is a reminder, a wonderful, beautiful, perfect reminder of the gospel that we cannot meet this standard. None of us. We can't live up to what God has told us to be. We can't meet this. And you say, well, that's not fair that God would give us a standard that we can't meet. Here is the thing. God has given us how to meet that standard. God sent his only son to be our perfect standard so that we don't have to carry that weight. Jesus came because only Jesus can meet this for us. And Jesus came to be that standard for us because we can't. As a sinful, fleshly human being, my calling is to proclaim the word to you every week. The elders are called to lead you well. Can I give you this update? We're not that good at it. I'm not that good at doing what I'm supposed to do. I'm not good. I I don't have the ability to do what God says to do. So this is why every week, listen, this is why I don't do fancy sermon series. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not creative enough. But you know what I am? I am kind of good at pointing you to Jesus. At least I hope I am. And this passage that we talk about elders and deacons, and it gives this high standard for what we're supposed to be, we don't meet that standard. So what are we, what are we forced to do? We're relying on Jesus more and more every day. It forces us to rely on the power of the Spirit to accomplish anything. See, you didn't think about deacons as a reminder of the power of the gospel, but it's pretty clear Because there's not a deacon alive today that can meet the standard perfectly. There's not an elder alive today that can meet the standard either. When I visit family in Virginia, I'll go to a store or I'll run into a friend that I knew in high school. And if they're not friends with me on social media, they'll say, hey, what are you doing? What are you up to these days? 
Oh, well, I'm a pastor. And almost all the time, there's kind of a shock on their face. What? I mean, we know, we know you like to talk. We know you like to tell people what to do. But, but a pastor, aren't you supposed to be, like, holy or something? That's what I've heard people say. Everyone who knew me 25 years ago is shocked that I am a pastor. Why? I certainly failed at the requirements. I still do, but my past shows that even the worst behaved hooligan can be used by God to accomplish something. Even the kid who got kicked out of three Christian schools and a public school can still be used by God for something. Even that guy who treated others like garbage can still be used by God. I didn't meet the standard then, and I don't meet the standard now, but Jesus does for me. See, we need to look at this list, these lists for deacons and elders, more than just qualifications for an office. That's important, but the question that I'd have for you is, what do these qualifications point us to? And who do these qualifications make us lean on more? It's Jesus. Jesus is our elder. Jesus is our pastor. He is our shepherd. And so if we look to Jesus, we can't fail. This is what it points us to. It points us to failed people telling other failed people about the perfect Jesus. Would you pray with me this morning?